You're listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Hope you guys are doing well this week. We are in part four of our series entitled Resilient. What we've been doing is we've been walking through the story of Joseph, Joseph found in the book of Genesis. If you haven't been listening up to this point, go ahead and check out the first three parts here on the podcast. Last week, we talked about being prepared, being people of preparation, that we'd be people who are always prepared for the call of God, that we wouldn't just hear the voice of God, but that when we do, we are prepared to follow it. We talked about how Joseph was that person. We talked about how Joseph was able to have the long view, that he wasn't somebody who got caught in the moment, but understood that there was more to come. And we also talked about him having supernatural insight, wisdom, discernment from God, that he would be in tune with God and that we would be people who would be in tune with Jesus as Well, this week, we're going to wrap up the series by looking at the back end of the story of Joseph. Last week, we left off with Joseph handling the massive crisis, the famine that was happening in Egypt and the entire known world. Because of that, Joseph's own brothers, who sold him into slavery in the first place, show up in need of food. And the story of Joseph and his family lasts for the next 10 chapters, but instead of walking through all of the scripture, I'm going to summarize a couple chapters. Joseph's brothers show up. And they don't recognize Joseph at all. They don't know who he is. It's been almost two decades from from the time they sold him into slavery up to this point. Joseph then interrogates them about about where they're from. They say, oh, we're from Canaan. And then he starts to ask them really personal questions like, do you have a father? Is he alive? Is he well? How's he doing? Which feels like on this end, like looking back at the story, you're like, I feel like that's a given. Like you are, it's a dead giveaway that this is somebody that you should know people. And then he gets frustrated with them. He accuses them of being spies, but then he sends them with food anyway. They pay silver. He ends up putting silver back in their bags. They get halfway home and they, they find their silver and then they start to panic. They're like, oh, they're going to think that we robbed them. We're never going to go be able to go back. Like we're not gonna be able to get any more food if this famine lasts longer because not everybody had the, the foresight that Joseph did being in tune with Jesus or in t- tune with God, excuse me, and saying, hey, this is going to be a seven-year famine. So there's, there's having all these questions. They, they take it back to Jacob, and they're like, oh, my gosh, this is what happened. He's frustrated, and they're like, hey, for some reason, he wants us to bring back Benjamin, who's the youngest brother who wasn't there the first time. And he's like, no, you, you can't take Benjamin. If he dies, like, I'll, I'll die. <laughs> like, if he gets put into slavery, like, I will die. Like, I can't lose. I already lost Joseph years ago. I can't lose my youngest son. And they convince him, they, they, they say, hey, like, we'll make sure that he comes back. All of these things happen. They bring Benjamin and all the brothers go back years later to see Joseph again because the famine is still great. And they, they have this interaction and Joseph is like, okay, this, this is Benjamin. He, he cries in private away from them because Benjamin is his only full-blooded brother. There's all of these interesting things that are happening. And then he gives them food and he sends them on, on their way again. But he puts a silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And they find it, and they're like, or, or Joseph says, sends his guard after him and says, if whoever you find the, the cup in, like that they're going to end up being my slave. And so they find it in Benjamin's bag. One of the older brothers is like, no, please, like you don't understand. Our father is going to die if that happens. I can't, I can't let you have him as a slave, but I'll, I'll be here in his stead. And all of these things happen, and eventually they come back, and Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And that, that's where we'll pick up on scripture. But I always look at this story and I know this is a spark version. It's kind of all over the place, but like this idea of like 
not telling them at first and then sending them away and putting silver in their bag. And then they come back and, and make sure you bring this brother. And I'm going to ask you more questions. And he even shares a meal with them. And then he sends them back and he, he puts a silver cup in the bag. And then they come like all these things. I'm just like, well, like, why, why are you making this so complicated, Joseph? And I think it's because of this. I think it, because even though God had done incredible things in and through Joseph, Joseph was still showing his humanity that despite all the ways God has moved, he's still frustrated that his brothers did what they did to him, that he, he wanted to toy with them a little bit, that, that there's this like unresolvement in his own spirit. And so that, like the, the actions come out as being unresolved. Like he can't quite decide exactly what he wants to do in these moments. And, and I wish that we could tap into every thought that Joseph has. And I wish it was just listed out and we could know exactly what he was thinking. But I think what it just shows is simply that Joseph, while being highly favored by God, was still human. So we're going to pick up in chapter 45 of Genesis, right at the beginning, verses 1 through 4. It says this, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Like, can you imagine being Joseph's brothers in this moment? Like the little brother who you sold into slavery is now the second most powerful person in the known world. Regret and fear had to have been coursing through their veins. Like we've experienced being caught doing something or, or after the fact being called out on something that we know we did that was wrong. And like the regret and fear we feel in those moments, like this is completely different. Like he had the authority to have them killed. Like I cannot imagine being in Joseph's brother's footsteps in this moment. They had to have been feeling everything, uh, everything fear related that you could possibly fear. Like, this is where the repercussions come in, right? Like, this is where judgment is found. This is where they get what is coming to them. And so we pick up in verses 5 through 8, and this is what Joseph says. And now, do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save the lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to prepare for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now, can you imagine being in Joseph's brother's place? Go from fear and regret to unbelievable, unexpected grace. That's the first point this week is unexpected grace. The parallel to the salvation of Jesus is too clear to move past. Like we have to talk about this. Joseph's brothers deserved life in prison. They deserved payback for what they had done. And you and I deserve life separated from Jesus for what we have done. Yet, just like them, we receive forgiveness. It, this is an unbelievable story, and I love that thousands of years before Joseph, or before Jesus shows up on the scene, Joseph gets to be this little like snippet of what Jesus is going to do. Their hands were dirty. There was no getting around that. Like they, they couldn't explain that away. They did something wrong, and they deserved punishment, but instead they'd received grace. 
you and I have not lived blameless lives. Every single one of us have done something that deserves punishment, that deserves separation from God, that deserves not being able to spend eternity with a perfect creator, and yet we don't find punishment or, or God having resentment towards us. We find forgiveness and we find grace. This is the gospel. What his brothers did to him was not lost on him. He hadn't forgotten, but he was forgiving. Jesus knows what we have done. He knows every single thing that we've done, good and bad. He knows all of it. And he, he forgives. Like That's the gospel, that there's grace and mercy and forgiveness for you and I, despite all of our brokenness and despite the fragility of our humanity. Jesus says, no, I have not forgotten what you've done, but I forgive every single thing. What Joseph was doing for a few, Jesus would eventually do for everyone. And what Jesus did for everyone, we get to do for a few. I think this is an important question this week. Where can we show grace? Where can I show grace this week? It might be in the middle of a situation that we are already in, or this question might prepare us to have grace in a moment that comes up later this week or later this month. People of preparation, remember that we would be people who we're currently in a situation where someone needs grace and we need to provide that grace. Or we become people of preparation and say, I don't know of the situation right now, but at some point over the next year or whatever, the next 10 years, whatever, there are going to be situations where people need grace, where people need forgiveness. And I want to prepare myself to be someone who freely gives forgiveness, who freely gives grace. No matter what is done to me or around me, whatever, Jesus did it for everyone. I can do it for a few people in my life. Where can we show grace? The second point this week, divine orchestration. Divine orchestration. Joseph reassures his brothers that God was working through their actions. He wasn't actually saying that God sent him physically to Egypt, that he took him from one place and put him in another. But what he was saying was that God could easily use their foolishness and their mistakes to accomplish his purposes. God knew that there was a remnant that needed to be saved from Joseph's family. He knew that eventually his own son, Jesus, would come from this family tree. Like, think about this. If, if Joseph isn't sold into slavery, or he is but then dies, nobody knows about the famine. Pharaoh's dreams are not interpreted, so then Joseph doesn't get to say, hey, there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. So if those things happen, like Jacob dies out, the nation of Israel dies out, God wasn't going to let that happen. God was going to use their foolish mistakes to make something incredible happen. That's divine orchestration. Like He uses the mistakes of broken human beings to bring about divine deliverance. And we look at that and we're like, wow, isn't it amazing that even despite the stupidity of his brothers, even despite his own pride at the beginning of the story, lording this this idea that they were going to eventually bow down to him over them and and causing them to be angry and then turning on him and selling him into slavery. All these things, like there's so many broken human pieces of this story and yet God does it and we say, wow, and we stand in awe of it and then we say to ourselves, I don't think God could do that in my story though. Like, what makes us think that he can't do the exact same thing with our foolishness? What makes us think that he can't do the exact same thing with our mistakes? It's absolutely asinine that we would be people who would look at stories from Scripture and say, wow, God was amazing then. Because it's the same God that we serve today. It's the same God that's working on our behalf today. Romans 8, 28 says this. It says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know 
we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We need to be reminded of that fact that God is working for our good. Even when it seems like everything is falling apart, God is working for the good of those that love him. And that means we need to stop focusing so much on striving to work things out in our own lives, but to allow God to work things out on our behalf. That doesn't mean that we get to be lazy. That just means that we need to always come back to to the confidence that we have that he is doing something in us and through us, that he's doing a good work in us because we love him. This verse in Romans needs to be one that we memorize. Like Joseph is, is one of the first embodiments of seeing it come true, that God works on behalf of those that love him, that, that throughout all the things, throughout the pain, throughout this tragedy, throughout all of those different things, Joseph loves God and God shows him favor. And what this is what I love about this is that this verse in Romans is written by the apostle Paul. Paul himself has been through pain and tragedy and incredible things, but he also had the perspective of having the Old Testament. This was the Jewish histories. So he knows the story of Joseph, but he also knows his own story, and he can write in confidence that God works for the good of those who love him. You see, we see the evidence in the stories of Joseph, in the stories of Paul, and in the stories of our own lives. And we lose focus way too often we say, wow, God used to move so much, or God moves in the lives of the people around me, or God moved the lives of Paul, or, or look at that guy over there, look at that story I just saw on Instagram, or that story that I saw on Facebook. Isn't it cool how God works in those things, but God couldn't use my foolishness, God couldn't use my mistakes, God couldn't possibly make something amazing happen in my life. Why? Why not? Why not us? Of course God can move. Of course God can divinely orchestrate things on our behalf. He loves us, he is for us, and he is working on the behalf of those who love him. So there's this beautiful reunion between Joseph and his brothers. They, they embrace, they, they do life together. They go back, they tell their father, hey, by the way, uh, Joseph didn't die uh, decades ago. He's actually just somehow, uh, we don't know totally how, but he is the second most powerful person in, in Egypt. Something crazy must have happened to him. We'll, we'll talk to him later about how he got to the position that he's in. Like just all these crazy things. And so they go and they get Jacob, they get the nation of Israel at the time. Like that family is the nation of Israel and they come to Egypt and they settle in the lands and Pharaoh gives them all the choicest land. They, they just get set up like in the, in the best ways. And for 17 years they're doing, they're living life together in harmony, all these things. And then Jacob being an old man at the beginning of the story is now very old and ends up passing away. So after 17 years, you would think they'd be like, oh, wow, like that's really sad that our dad died, and that's where their focus would be. But instead, the brother's focus turns to themselves again, and they say, well, maybe the only reason that Joseph has shown us favor, the only reason that he's been kind to us is because our dad was alive, and now that father's dead, he's going to bring down the judgment that we deserved in the first place. And Joseph responds to that thought process in Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 21. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then do not be afraid. I will provide for you. I will provide for your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Our troubles can sink us or they can shape us. It's the last point. Our troubles can sink us or they can shape us. Joseph's perspective is something that I think we should all strive for. We have the ability to look 
he had the ability to look past his personal pain and see that God worked through the pain. He worked through the tra tragedy. And it wasn't just for himself, but it was for the lives of many, that many lives were saved because of the things that he had to endure. I, I, I have these friends, and you, you might know them if you're a part of the College of Judgment family. Their names are Luke and Carly Anderson. Luke and Carly, if you're listening to this, we love you so much. And Luke got diagnosed a while ago with a, a very aggressive form of leukemia. And there's just no easy way to, to get that diagnosis. They're this young, amazing couple who just had gotten married not long before this. Like, just it's just wild. And I remember sitting in my office and, and talking to them about just everything that it meant, just the heaviness of all these different things. And I was just in awe of, of their candidness and their vulnerability and all these different things. And then Luke <laughs> says this phrase, I just can't wait to see how God is going to use this. I just can't wait to see how God is going to use this. And he wasn't talking about himself. He was wondering how God was going to use his diagnosis and their situation to impact the lives of other people. That's amazing. His perspective, their perspective as a couple to show Jesus and their faith. And, and what I love about this is like on Facebook, like I get messages from people that I don't even really know. They're like friends of my mom's friends. And I'll share updates that Carly will, will share on Facebook and they'll message me and be like, wow, like these, these young people are amazing. Their faith has changed my faith. They've lit a fire in my spirit to be somebody who's pursuing Jesus more. Like it's just amazing what's already happening through their lives. I wonder how many of us could say the same. How many of us have trouble looking past ourselves? I know I do. There's not a single one of us that that has lived or will live a pain-free life. We can turn those moments into lessons or we can let those moments tear us down. And I don't know about you, but I want to be somebody who lets those moments teach me something. Because if we're being honest with ourselves, we've probably found that the most growth happens in the moments of challenge, in the seasons of challenge. We don't go through through no pain, no struggle, no, no tension and be like, wow, I really grew in that season. No, it's like when we get past the challenges and when we conquer our fears and we do all those things, that's where we grow. That's where we become the people that God is asking us to be. There's this song by Elevation Worship called Sea of Victory. And there's this phrase in the, in the lyrics that say, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. I wonder what would happen if we could lean into that perspective, that we would know that in every broken place, there's going to be restoration, that in every broken place, there's going to be redemption, not just for us, but that God will work through our situations for others. I think it begs this question, what, what framework are we working with? Most of us, if we're being completely honest, have a framework that includes us and us alone. The way we look at situations is, how is this going to affect me? We scream, do you understand what this has cost me or what this is going to cost me instead of looking at what was purchased or what could be purchased with the, with the cost? What, what could be purchased with the cost that our pain and our tragedy and our, and our troubles are bringing? Like, hear me clearly. Like, I'm not comparing our sufferings to, to, to Christ on the cross, but we should be using that Jesus as our framework every single day. He knew the cost and he said, yep, that's worth it, worth it, and he paid it willingly. I always think to myself, if somebody said, hey, one of the people that you love, one of the people that you know, maybe somebody that you don't even know, they, they'll go to heaven, but you have to give up your life. Would you do it? Would you, in this moment, give up your life if one person went to see Jesus? And I don't know if I would say yes, but I want to. I want to get to the place where I'd say, yeah, every single time. 
every single time, one person knowing Jesus, one person knowing his love, one person knowing his grace, one person knowing his acceptance, that's worth it. The cost of my life is worth one person being in heaven absolutely every single time. What if we changed our perspective? What if we honestly tried to look at all situations, even the ones that were happening to us, and thought about how it could be used for others? This isn't just done by our human effort, like fully understand that we aren't able to just will a new framework into our lives. This is something that we have to ask Jesus to help us with daily. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Let me see people the way that you see people. Jesus, move, move, move. I need your eyes, not my eyes. I need your heart, not my heart. I love Joseph's response in chapter 50 versus what happened earlier. Instead of letting his humanity show and toying with his brothers, he just responds like God with full and complete forgiveness. He's able to do that because he knew that the cost was worth it. He knew that the cost was worth it. He knew that prison, he knew Potiphar's wife, he knew all the things that he had went through was worth it because now his family was safe and they had a future and that God was working on the behalf of he who loved him. And it might have taken him 17 years or more to get to that point, but he got there. I think that you and I can too. Thank you for listening to the College Age Movement podcast. College Age Movement's in-person gatherings meet Tuesday nights at 7, and we would love to have you there. If you are unable to join us in person, you can engage online at faithchapel.cc or follow us on our socials at collegeagemvmt.